Good morning, church. My name is Andy Allickson. Uh, I've been away for a while enjoying this great country, all except for Kansas. Kansas is a good state to wear virtual reality goggles when you drive. Um, thank you for your prayers. Um, and I want to, Jerry's downstairs, but a public shout out to him. I pulled into the apartment building at 9 o'clock put my key in the door and realized it was my son's house key. So I <laughs> You probably should have. Uh, so I called Jerry about 9 or 10 o'clock at night and he came down and opened it up for me. And if that was me, I would have said, you got camping gear, go camp out in the playground. Um, other announcements, we have been doing a lot of upgrades around here. Um, I appreciate all who have upgraded my office in the cottage. Uh, but I'd encourage you to, to look at the cottage and look downstairs in the nursery and even later on in the, fellow, uh, in the apartment building where the youth choir now is practicing. A lot of people have been doing behind the scenes stuff and I'm gonna risk not getting everybody so if I don't call your name out publicly, um, blame pastor. But uh, Jerry's been helping. Addie and Bailey have been doing some stuff. Jessica is a gift that's very quiet, um, but she's been doing a lot with Catherine and getting Jerry and me to do a lot. Uh, so I, I really appreciate it. Michael and Mary have been working. Um, with, along with that, we have new carpet in the nursery. Um, for some reason, ladies want to protect our children. Where, the rest of us were growing up, it was like, there's a brick, go play with it. Uh, just don't bleed on the couch. Uh, I don't know, maybe we're raising a generation of wimps, but I'm not gonna argue with the ladies. All that to say is somebody overruled my taste in brown carpet, um, which is good. But we have two extra carpets downstairs and, and uh, padding to go underneath it. So if you want some carpet for your horse stall, your garage, or whatever, there's some carpet downstairs, so please take it. Other announcement, youth choir is going to be practicing in the apartment after church. And for anybody that's staying around, we're showing another episode of Tim Challey's video. Um, if you're a, an early riser, guys, there's a men's Bible study at Dunkin' Donuts. That's in the bulletin. And I would encourage you also to Zoom with us on Wednesday for prayer time and Bible study. Welcome back, Andy. And today I just want to mention, uh, in preparation for our missions and missions month. Um, Isaac, I'm going to have you come up in just a bit to pray with us. Um, but Isaac is helping to coordinate that. We're going to do that uh, online on Wednesday for the month of July and maybe bleed over into August like we did last time. Introduce various missionaries that we support and give you an opportunity to not only hear from them, but also to be able to talk with them and uh, converse and so forth. So that'll be coming up in the month of July. We also uh, encourage uh, additional mission support during that month, and I have appreciated all the years 
in taking an offering for missions specifically uh, that um, you guys have really contributed quite a bit and uh, we have another opportunity to do so. I just want to keep that in mind. We are partnered with a sister church in Alabama, Grace Life of the Shoals. They have a mission program they call Anchored in Truth, and most of you are aware, aware of it. We do go to the missions conference once a year, and Isaac directs that, and you can see him if you want to participate in it this next year. I think it'll be sometime in February. Uh, so that's something that you can plan. We typically just go for two days, a Friday and a Saturday, uh, and it's very worthwhile to gain some experience uh, of what's going on to meet some of the missionaries that we're praying for and supporting. We can see them firsthand. And if you'd like to be a part of that, see Isaac about that. Uh, we would encourage you to be um, to participate in that. One of the reasons we like our mission program that we've done is that we're exclusively working with Anchored in Truth is because it is a local church that the pastors that are sent out from there to the various places on mission are submissive to the elders of that church and coordinate with us as well. And I'm in constant com communication with those pastors at that church so that we can make sure that whatever resources are, are given and directed are, are used responsibly uh, for the gospel and to go forward. There's also opportunities with them to go to some of these sites to participate in missions and when we talk about participate in missions we're not talking about going somewhere and cleaning up a space or painting a space which that's all well and good but it's about proclaiming the gospel and preaching the gospel one of the mission trips that have recently uh, is uh, coming up uh, will be in about two weeks I think on the 18th is when they leave but the, the anchored in truth are supporting a mission to one of the missionaries in Scotland, Ali McLaughlin is a pastor there, and they're going to a poorer section of town and trying to establish another church in that, uh, in that town. In any case, and some folks from Anchored in Truth are going with them to hand out tracts to preach the gospel. We want to be in prayer for that, and one of our own is, has decided to join with them and the church has provided a small token of support, and that's for Nathan Slaymaker, and uh, we'll call him up here in just a minute for us to pray for him, and I hope it encourage you to think and pray for missions as well. Next, This week and next, if you want to assist in any way, he's already taken care of is a substantial cost to go. He's already taken care of it, but if you want to help support definitely need your prayers during this time but also financially if you want to participate you can make a designated offering and put it in the offering box in the back so let's before we bring Nathan up to pray and have the elders pray I just want to we have a two-minute clip from this pastor that we support in Scotland Ali McLaughlin I just want to greet uh, all those who will be participating in the Anchored in Truth missions trip to Edinburgh this year, 19th through 26th of June. 
uh, want to really greet those who will be praying for uh, Chris and Annie Shepherd from GLC uh, Brookhaven, Mississippi, and for those praying for Joseph and Anna Klopfelter, Tommy Singleton and Elspeth Burbank from Grace Life Church of the Shoals and Anchored in Truth, and for Nathan Slaymaker from Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Tennessee. We're so looking forward to having these guys come and help us. Smaller team this year, both from the US and from Edinburgh. But would you pray, please, for reach, preach, and teach? We got about uh, two and a half thousand tracts to go to Edinburgh, two and a half thousand tracts to go to Alloa. We've got outreach to that many homes. We've got street preaching. We've got a cafe, street cafe, street music, street preaching. We'll be speaking to people on the streets in numerous ways and going from door to door. So please pray that we would reach as many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ as possible. Pray that we would preach, that the, we wouldn't just make contact with people, but we'd be able to preach Jesus Christ, the only savior of sinners. And pray that then we would be able to teach them, that we would truly make disciples, connect them with the local church and see them built up in Grace Baptist Church, Edinburgh, and Grace Baptist Church, Alloa. Would you commit these saints and their safety and their travel to the Lord in prayer and that we would work effectively together, partnering in the gospel for the advance of Christ's church here. Amen. Nathan, if you'll come on up, and the elders, and Jerry, and Isaac, I'd like for you to come up as well. I really appreciate Isaac's work in all of this, <clears throat> organizing every year, as well as organizing the um, missions in July, the last several years, and he's been of great help. So if you do need to know more about and want to discuss Anchored in Truth and the missions and so forth, uh, please see Isaac about that. Jerry has a gift from the church to Nathan, and if you'll come up here, we'll pray for you, elders, and Isaac, if you'll come around, and let's pray, church, that God would bless this time. Father, we go to you in prayer now, thanking you for your goodness, for who you are, your, your incredible glory graciously granted to us. We do pray for Nathan as he travels the, in just a few weeks, for the purpose of sharing the gospel to these folks in Edinburgh and Alloa. I pray, Father, that indeed you would give them all courage and conviction to truly preach the gospel, to proclaim a truth that may seem very foolish and may cause some to stumble. I pray that they would stand firm and just preach Christ call people to repentance and faith and trust you that you will do the miraculous, that you will take your word and bring life to those that are dead in trespasses and sin. And for those that are confused about the truth of the gospel, I pray that this mission might also accomplish a great time of teaching, of teaching the truth and encouraging those that perhaps they're working in this church in Edinburgh and also in Alawa, that they might be encouraged by others that come alongside and go in the same direction 
people from a, a different part of the world who are brothers and sisters in Christ and who can encourage those to have the, the conviction that they'll need to simply preach Christ. And I pray that it will be inspirational to us as well, that we might remember what we are certainly called to do, and that is to make disciples of all nations, and teaching them everything that Christ has taught us. I pray that you'd bless our time in proclaiming the gospel here and with our partners around the world. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. Well, let's stand and take our hymn books and turn to number 314, and we'll sing all hail the power of Jesus' name. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. 314. he gathered at his table. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to his disciples. Matthew 26, 26.
into our communion with Christ you have your worship folder in the inside part of it it refers to a passage that really is kind of comprehensive on the subject and you can look at that I put in red letters the importance of the two elements that we are now to receive they, they aren't elements that provides grace but it reminds us of grace and Jesus would say in verse 24 as quoted by Paul this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me He's speaking about the bread and that's what we're to remember the very life of Christ the second element the cup he would say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. We're given our, our discretion on time, and today is the time. But do this in remembrance of me. Both of those are for our remembrance of Christ, and what he has done in his life, and what he has done in his death, and what all of that has accomplished now, and as we will result in praise to him the way we receive communion here we just ask you to be truly in Christ to be one who has repented who has believed and has been obedient in believers baptism subsequent to confession of Christ as Lord you don't have to be a member of this church you do need to be a member of the body of Christ and in good standing and if you're not in good standing you could be in good standing now by taking a moment to prepare your heart to receive and to remember. So I'm going to give you a moment privately where you're at to prepare your heart. Jesus said, if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have to walk down the aisle on your knees. You, you don't have to give a certain amount. It's simply this. Confess your sin to Christ directly not to me to him and he will forgive you that is one of the greatest things for us to remember no guilt in Christ take a moment now to prepare your heart to receive holy communion with Christ and then I'll pray and bless the elements let us go to the Lord in prayer I'll give you a moment to pray privately right now Father, I suppose if there were some duty and mantra or some formula for us to do, we would certainly do it. But you've done it all. And so I pray that you just give us faith and confidence and trust in you to recognize that indeed 
Forgiveness is just for the asking, for anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, recognizes their own sin and sinfulness, and repents and believes. You will grant forgiveness. What a beautiful and gracious thing. It is something that should certainly stay with us from day to day, and today, as we're reminded about it once again, I pray that you will work in each heart of the believer to bring about a great remembrance of this truth as we participate in these elements that you have set out for us to receive. May we drink it in a worthy manner by examining ourselves and yes, then with great joy come and eat and drink, prefiguring the beautiful celebration that waits for every believer, the abundance that we have in Christ, and what a beautiful time we would have around the table of the Lord. For now, we sorrow and weep over our sin, and turn that sorrow and weeping to great joy and satisfaction in you as we think about the work of Christ on our behalf. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We have two elements we'll go ahead and receive, and we'll do our normal manner. If you'll receive both elements, this side first, the middle, and the back, and then this side here, if you'll come around the back way so, so we can flow. Here, get both elements, return, and then we'll eat together. So this side first over here. You'll stand, receive the elements. Do you have a separate...
two elements, the cup and the bread. As I've mentioned, the bread that we receive reminds us of the life of Christ, a life that he lived, all stages of it, could have just came and died, but he came and lived. We note from the preacher of Hebrews that, well, he knows our infirmities. He knows them experientially. I mean, God knows everything, of course. But he really walked in our shoes. And he lived his life, and one of the biggest differences, of course, is that though he was tested to the ultimate, he never broke. All of us will. All of us do and will again. So to be righteous, and I'll talk about that in a bit in Hebrews, to be perfect before God, it is going to require perfection. And in and of ourselves, we don't have it. We receive this in remembrance of the perfection that is in Christ Jesus, which has been granted to us. Receive this in remembrance of him. Standing before God, then, in the perfection of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then what happens to our sin? Does he just sweep it under the rug? No, he can't be, because somebody could just pick up the rug and see it. But in Christ, the beauty of it is, it is actually atoned for. It is actually paid for. The record says, paid in full. It is written down. Let the evil one remind you of how you have failed. Of course you have. But you're standing in the righteousness of Christ, and all your failures, past, present, and future, all of your sin... All of any disobedience has been atoned for by Jesus Christ. You remember what he said on the cross when he spilled out his blood? He simply said this, it is finished. Do this in remembrance of him. Our tradition is then to sing, but we'll hang around for a little bit, but we will have you sing I think it's 591 in your hymn book, if I'm correct. Purer in heart to thee. Is that what it is? What? Purer in heart, O God. Is it 591? Okay, I didn't have the page turned correctly. I just want to say this. Here, Blake, is a beautiful hymn that Blake will lead us in in a moment. And... And think about the fact that you can be pure in heart because of his love for you, his perfecting work on our behalf. The text that is highlighted here in 591 is from Psalm 5110. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let's sing together in great joy because of Christ's accomplishment of this work. Let's all stand together. 591. Sing this prayer in.
Good morning, church. I certainly have the privilege of reading before you God's word today as we continue through the book of Acts. If you'd like to read along in your pew Bible, that'll be page 917 in the English Standard Version. 917 will be in chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Real quickly, in a few minutes, we'll, we're going to sing another song. And um, when we gather together on the Lord's Day, we commune with Christ, we sing songs of praise. It's all communal worship for the Lord. And the first song we sang stirred me up a little bit. Um, and I hope when you sing this next song, You'll think ahead and look ahead to the day when we'll all join that everlasting song. Yeah. And we'll sing praise to the only one that's worthy that we'll call Lord of all. Today we have uh, a story that's familiar, a narrative that's familiar to us all from, um, from the book of Acts, Philip uh, in the Ethiopian. And... Um, uh, the, the beauty of God's providence as we prayed this morning thinking of uh, our, our missionaries that we support, thinking of sending one of our own to help in those efforts, um, looking ahead to missions in July. There's a lot of things that you can do um, to help with missions. But what what is distinctive about missions from a Christian standpoint versus just uh, just aid to those in need is what we're going to read about right here. When we want to financially support and support in prayer and send uh, send gifts, uh, devote our time to uh, mission efforts, it's got to be from our conviction as a church a lot more than just. Um, providing for physical need people have physical need but christ told us the poor will always be with us we need to be compassionate but it's the eternal that matters most and what people need is the gospel they need to hear about the word of christ so let's look to this story here when philip had an opportunity to do that very thing starting in verse 26 Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, Now the passage of scripture 
that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we've gathered this morning on the Lord's Day to worship you, to praise you, to study your word, to learn. Uh, Christ has told us all that no man can live on bread alone, and we come together to, to study and learn from your word. And, and Lord, I know that I'm not alone when, when um, we read through this, uh, this event, this narrative, to be stirred up by way of reminder of my own uh, experience with someone teaching me what I couldn't understand, someone helping me, someone showing me the gospel, all guided and directed by you and, uh, and by the Spirit. And, and, and Lord, we praise you and thank you this morning for the work of your Spirit in our own hearts, um, unworthy, wretched sinners, that you condescended to, to, to lift up and, and to redeem, to cover us in the blood of Christ. And Lord, for eternity we want to praise you for that. Above all things, Lord, we praise you for Christ, for Christ's work. I do ask that um, as we look towards uh, mission efforts here on, on, uh, on earth, that, um, that our focus would be on the gospel. Above all things, when we are in our day-to-day lives, when we are amongst our co-workers, our friends, our families, that uh, the word that we would have to them above all is Jesus Christ. And um, we do pray for uh, the preaching this morning that, um, that we would be shown Christ in your word and uh, that we would all be built up and strengthened and encouraged uh, from what we learned today. We ask all this name in Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Amber, for such a time as this. Let's all take our hymn books and stand once more and turn to number 537. Master, thou callest, and this I reply, ready and willing, Lord, here am I. church and I hope that's your prayer as well to follow Christ wherever he would lead you you're reminded it does call for us to pick up our cross it isn't necessarily an easy path but it is one that leads to life and light and will do so for others who come our way who we encounter. I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word this morning to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, and we're making our way through this type of Christ, Melchizedek, as he is mentioned. I wasn't sure exactly how I would break down this text week to week, and I'm still not sure. 
because it is quite overwhelming. It's quite overwhelming to think about, and it is necessary for us to think about, and I think that's our primary concern. The preacher of Hebrews wants us to think more about Jesus Christ. He brings up this Old Testament type, Melchizedek. It's one to these Hebrews he was preaching to is not that familiar. And I'd have to confess, for us, it's probably the same. Granted, Melchizedek isn't written about much. You have a historical account in Genesis 14. And if you're reading through the Bible and you come across that, well, it just doesn't seem to be much. doesn't seem to be much until David writes about it in Psalm 110, by which I think this proclamation here in the book of Hebrews is essentially an exposition that is focused on Psalm 110, particularly verse 4. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. David, speaking under the inspiration of God and providing divine revelation that this Messiah who was to come, yet another thousand years before he would come, was typified or an example was put forward by this Melchizedek, who was a type of Christ. In chapter 7 of Hebrews, what the author is doing is emphasizing the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ. If you read through the, the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, you're not going to find any greater resource on that aspect of Jesus Christ. And that's his mediation on our behalf. And today our focus is really going to be on one of the aspects of his mediation, and that is the perfecting aspect. Christ is indeed our perfect priest. He is a perfecting priest. He would accomplish what he intended to do and is continuing in that role because he is, as David would say, a priest forever. We emphasized that last week. Who is this priest? In, as he introduces this section of chapter 7, the preacher would say in verse 19 of chapter 6, we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope a hope that enters into the inner places behind the curtain, using that analogy of the, the priestly system in which they had a temple, initially a tabernacle, a tent, and then finally a temple, but in there was the most holy place of all, called, often called the holy of holies or the holy place. There was a curtain that veiled between the public and that very room which represented the very throne of God. In, in that room was only one artifact. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, on it, it had, this is where the high priest would ritually put the blood on that seat that was in the middle of this Ark. It was called the Mercy Seat. It represented the very throne of God. And on either side were angelic beings 
who were standing there recognizing who God is, saying in, in a figurative sense as Isaiah would actually see it in a vision in his prophecy in Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy. It is Jesus Christ who is this one, who is our anchor, our hope. He is behind that curtain. What illustrates that? He has gone on on our behalf. And then he is a priest and functioning in that way forever. This is why those that are in Christ can have great hope, a steadfast hope, a sure hope. An anchor that will never fail. One that is steadfast. One that is already there. This idea of a forerunner. He's already made it. So I wonder if I'm going to make it to heaven. wonder if I'm going to get there. Is Christ there? That's the point. And beyond that, he is continuing in this mediatorial work. That is, his work between God and man. It is forever. It will continue forever. And this is why your salvation in Christ is absolutely certain and secure. It is because of this one, Jesus Christ. Melchizedek just illustrates some of those aspects. He illustrates it in to call our attention to which we, we are called then to think about the glory of Jesus Christ. And whatever you think about him, it isn't enough. You say, well, I've already heard that. Well, you haven't heard it enough. You already thought about that. Well, you haven't thought about it enough. The, 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 the objective here is to revel in the glory of Jesus Christ and who he is. There, there are so many beautiful facets about it that you could not contain it in your own mind. And so he's reminding us here to exalt in the glory of Jesus Christ if, on, a, on a practical sense. Beloved, it would change everything about your life. If, if Christ was first and foremost in your thoughts, you would have no room for worry. You, you would have no room for anxiety, for doubt, for fear of whatever. You would have great confidence in his assurance because he is a mediator now and forevermore. And beyond that, and I think what the preacher of Hebrews is trying to say is simply this, because he's addressing, remember, these religious Jews who had given up much of their religious practices, embraced Christ, recognized who he is, confessed him as Lord, but now they're tempted to go back to where they were and engage in meaningless rituals. Rituals that had meaning at the time because they symbolically pointed to something, but the substance is here. Christ has come. He has spoken in the past, but now he has spoken through the Son. And, and by way of application for us, beloved, is simply this, for you and for your children and anyone here, anything that you might go to and put your allegiance in is less than him. Anything that you go to and put your allegiance in other than Jesus Christ is a way that doesn't lead to flourishing. It leads to failure. It isn't a way that leads to life. It is a way that leads to death. It's crucial. To walk away from the faith, then, is to walk away from life. 
to Christ, to this one. And there is no comparison. And that's thematically throughout the book of Hebrews. And that is an emphasis on the supremacy of Jesus Christ and recognize that practical benefit for you ultimately is his mediatorial work on your behalf. The beauty of this message of Hebrews is simply this. God is absolutely holy. And he dwells with his people. And you think, well, that's not that big of a deal. Well, it is if, if people are unholy. <laughs> they would melt in his presence. And so God would have to perfect them and make them holy in his sight for them to be able to stand. To be able to stand the heat, if you will, of the holiness of God. You would need to be shielded by his righteousness and his righteousness alone. And it is only through Jesus Christ. And then he beckons us to come and dwell with him. To engage on a moment-by-moment basis to the very throne of grace. To, to live in that way to where you're praying always that, that your life is about communion and communication with God. And recognizing that this is brought about through the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ right now. Not something past and not just something present, but something for eternity. Let's read this in context, and I'm going to emphasize this perfecting work of this perfect one, Jesus Christ. And we'll unpack that to some degree this morning. So I invite you to look at Hebrews 7, and we'll pick up at verse 17. Hebrews 7, verse 17. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. Through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. 
He has no need. Like those high priests who offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for the, those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let us pray. Father, I pray for us to have insight into the perfection of Jesus Christ, the perfect priest who is perfecting in his work. And may it cause us to grow in grace and the knowledge of you, that we be ever satisfied in Christ, May that joy overflow into our relationships with one another. In fact, how we think and how we act and what we call others to. We're thankful for your mediation on our behalf, sending your son. I pray that he'd be exalted today in our hearts. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned, that chapter 7 is, is quite lengthy concerning an explanation, if you will, of Melchizedek, who points to Christ. Th- that's really the central idea of this entire work here. It's the supremacy of Christ, not just to say that he's supreme, but, but why does that matter? Because he's a mediator the mediator between God and man, a mediator on our behalf. This this section here provides great detail on that subject. And so far as we've looked at this type, Melchizedek, and what some of the aspects have he pointed to that the preacher of Hebrews draws out, we've already touched on the idea of his sovereignty. He is indeed a kingly priest. It isn't just any priest, but it's a priest that has all authority. He is sovereign God. This is one who created the world and sustains it and is sustaining it now. Again, who else would you go to but the one who created everything and the one who holds it all together by what? By the very word of his power. Whatever you think about Jesus Christ, as I mentioned, it isn't high enough. I don't even know if we have a capacity to recognize that in its fullness. He is ultimately supreme then, overall. And as the text has read, as you've seen, he he is self-sufficient in and of himself. He is God. He doesn't need us. He's not lonely. He's not doing this just because he couldn't bear to live without you, as some people might quip. That misses the whole point of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. He has no need. What he does is display his, the, his beautiful attributes of grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness and, and all of these aspects about God in salvation. As Paul would tell the church at 
Ephesus three times in the first chapter, to the praise of the glory of his grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's what salvation is about. That's what Jesus Christ is about. And that's ultimately what his mediatorial work is about. And it lasts, as I mentioned last week, it lasts forever. That mediatorial work is really the application of all this concept of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. He continues on. He intercedes because he lives forever. And so this intercession doesn't just start here and then we make it into heaven and then that relationship ends. It's not the case. It continues forever. It would have to be. And that is his commitment to those that are in Christ. He'll continue working on our behalf. This work is that which is, can be thought of as, and I'll try to unpack it, the perfecting work of Jesus Christ. He accomplishes what needs to be done. He is indeed perfect. He doesn't give a possibility, by the way, of salvation. He actually accomplishes it. It isn't a possibility of being restored to God. He actually does restore us to God. He accomplishes it as he intends it. His mediation, then, isn't some potential idea. That if we just would grasp a hold of it, then maybe we would have some benefits. No, he brings it about. And he does so in what is called the perfecting work of Christ. He actually does it. You will need, as we talked about in our time of Holy Communion, to be reminded of it, you will need absolute perfection to stand before a holy God. No other religious system, idea, or ideology can accomplish that. Where are you going to go? And if you think you could go somewhere else, recognize that you're going to stand before a holy God. The beginning of wisdom is certainly to recognize that and fear him. Holy in that the sense he's holy other. Foreign to us in many respects. And if you read about encounters with God in scripture, people fall down like dead men. And God would have to raise them up. Because of the beauty of the perfection that is God. And so for then us to dwell with God, we would have to be made perfect. And you would need a perfect priest to accomplish that. And Jesus is the only one. Nothing else could accomplish that. Leave him and, as I mentioned, you forsake life. Let me draw your attention to verse 18 in our text. Because here's a comparison made and applicable to these Hebrews. In their case, they were thinking about, well, I'll just go back to the religious system that I was in. Isn't that good enough? And here the preacher reminds them simply of this, that 
on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. All right? So there's an aspect about the law, the former commandment. It, returned, it refers to the old covenant, the Mosaic law, ministered by the Levitical priesthood. This old covenant has been replaced by the new. Now, it's not replaced in that it had no value at all, and we'll look at Romans 7 here in a minute to see that in the inspired word. But what he's saying here is it, it, can't, it is weak and useless. Notice in verse 18, and then verse 19, and our translator puts this in parentheses. I think it's a good way to understand this. Explaining what, what he means by weak and useless because of this. Note, the law made nothing perfect. What do you mean by perfect? Absolutely perfect, righteous before God. That's what you're going to need to stand before a holy God and not be burnt to crisp, if you will. Think of that. Well, the law doesn't do that. So, so they're going to go back to their law and their religious system, but that religious system doesn't make anything perfect. And instead, uh, on the other hand, in verse 19, he says, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So now you can draw near to God. That is, you can be made perfect, perfectly righteous before God. It isn't going to come through the law. Why not? Well, he doesn't give a lot of detail here, but he does make that statement absolute. The law doesn't perfect. Christ perfects. That's his point. But to get a better grasp on it, I do invite you, if you want to, turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7 and verse 9, and here Paul explains this concept of the law. Preacher Hebrews is saying the law doesn't make people righteous. So something else has to be reestablished, and it is Christ, the new covenant. And here Paul in chapter 7 of Romans, and drop down to verse 9. He's saying this in context here about the law. He says, I, I once... I was once alive apart from the law. In other words, he, he was ignorant of it, really. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. That's a, an incredible point to think about. He dies. So he's not made alive by the law. This is consistent with what the preacher of Hebrews is saying. The law comes, and it kills him. The commandment, verse 10, that promised life proved to be death to me. And I think that's the important distinction here. It is death to him. Christ fulfills the law in perfection because he is life. Paul does not. He fails, and so he has the penalty, which is death. 
And what's going on here then with Paul, distinctive from Christ? For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it, killed me. He explains what the law is and deals with this tension. The law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. You know what he's saying? I'm not. All the law does, and it is holy, it is righteous, and it is good. There's nothing wrong with it. What's wrong? You. It's the sin within you. That's what the problem is. And so, yes, if you could follow the law in perfection, you would have life. But it's never going to happen because you're not perfect. You have sin. And that's the problem. Christ fulfilled all righteousness. We receive this bread of life to remind us of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It isn't that the law gave him that righteousness, you understand. All it does is reveal who he actually is. When he withstands this temptation in Matthew chapter 4, people struggle with that. Well, was it a real temptation? Sure it was. It was absolutely. You say, well, could he ever have failed? No, he couldn't. Why couldn't he fail? Because he's perfect. That's not his problem that he's perfect. (laughs) He he would be tested to the nth degree and never fail ever. You know why? Because he is the Holy One of God. He is holy, righteous, and good, intrinsically, even of himself. Guess what? You're not holy, righteous, and good. And so when you get measured by the law, all it can do is show how you have failed it and therefore put you under judgment subject to the consequences of breaking the law, which is death. The wages of sin is death. This is a big problem. And all of humanity has that. So so where are you going to go? What religious system would you go to? That you're going to go fulfill that little, all the rules that they have, all the regulations they have. Go do it. You're going to fail. Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 7, still in Romans 7, Did that which is good then bring death to me? Law is holy, righteous, and good. How, How does that bring death to me? Is it the problem with the law? By no means. What's the problem? And he says it right there in the text. You see it? It was sin. That's the problem. Nothing wrong with the law. It's wrong with me. Sin is the problem. And when I get measured by perfection, I come up short. Because I don't measure up. Way short in my case. So then it produces death in me. Though what is good has a benefit in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. When I think of Paul, I don't think of a man that is sinful beyond all measure. Do you? But that's how he thought of himself. O wretched man that I am, Who will save me? And that's the point of the law. To show that you're a wretched man. 
it also points out this beautiful Savior who you will need, who is not a wretched man, but it is a righteous man. And he'll give you what you need, and that is righteousness. The benefit of the law, then, has some benefit. It, it's useless in the sense of bringing about perfection because you can't keep it because of sin. Nothing wrong with it, but you just can't do it. So write all the lists you, little lists you want. You're failing. The, the problem is your, your inability. It's because of the inherent sinfulness that we cannot fulfill righteousness. It brings about what it is intended to do in our case, and that is recognize our total inability. I think Paul preached a couple weeks ago about our total depravity, and I appreciate that. It's something that we need to recognize our position then in relationship to that which is good, holy, just, and true. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What many people do at this point then, and I've made out hard lines. Paul has stated this. He says it kills me. You know what people do oftentimes, though? Why they would run away from Christ? They say, well, I'll just change the rules a little bit. I'll set the bar a little lower, and that way I can cross it. I'll redefine terms. We live in a new age, so we'll just call it something else now. Don't be deceived. God isn't mocked, and God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he'll be the same at the end of the age when you stand before him. So you can change it in your mind all you want and think, oh, okay, I'm going I'm to be okay because I've redefined the terms. Well, God hasn't. The point is to point out your sinfulness before him, your lack of righteousness, so that you wouldn't look within yourself. You wouldn't have to juggle the dictionary to redefine things. You could just look to Christ, and he will actually forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful Savior. What a great mediator. The condition we find ourselves in is grave, if we really think about it. Pun intended. We need a Savior, then, who will function as the mediator between God and man. One who comes from above. One who is not spotted by the world. So no, no other leader, no other person, no other one has come. God incarnate in human flesh. No one else has merited and fulfilled all righteousness and merited life. Jesus possessed it. Read the Gospel of John and weep. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. 
the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. It's twofold meaning on the comprehend. One, they don't get it, they don't see it because they're blind. And two, intended meaning, they're not going to overcome it. You can't overcome light with darkness. Light always expels darkness. That's who Jesus Christ is. Back to our text and verse 18. It says this commandment then, in, I'm in, back in 718 of Hebrews, this commandment is set aside. It's set aside because of its weakness and useless, and I just explained what that was. Hopefully that made sense to you. This, this word, and I'll not be too technical here, I'll just be quick. This word set aside is purposely written this way in, in the original language with an A at the beginning instead of saying, you could say the same word in Greek with meta. Meta just means change. A is kind of is what we would call the alpha primitive. It is absolute, complete change. It's not just a slight change. It's a complete change. Something has completely changed is what he's pointing to grammatically here and also theologically as I've mentioned the old covenant then is set aside it is it is annulled would be a word we might use it is set aside because it has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ the only one who could and the only one who did so in the case of here these Hebrews for them to go running back to this Judaism, in their case, this old system, this old system's been set aside. This old system doesn't perfect. It doesn't bring about righteousness. It brings about sin. They think it might bring about righteousness because they've changed the rules, so to speak, lowered the bar, minimized the requirements. This system is going to literally pass away and God, in his grace, does that in AD 70. The ritualistic system of Judaism receives a final blow, historically, by Titus, the pagan leader who destroys Jerusalem and the temple. The intent is that Judaism is not an end in and of itself, but rather a pointer to Jesus Christ who would actually fulfill it you don't need it anymore because it's been accomplished you don't need it anymore because there's no no one is going to come after jesus christ and accomplish what he has done this brings out an exclusive exclusivity when we speak about jesus christ and these are harsh words and sometimes hateful i guess in our current culture The scripture's clear. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but what? Through me. Of course not. He's the only one who is holy and perfect, righteous and just. This truth 
proclaimed enthusiastically about the exclusivity of Christ, about the need for repentance and to turn to him and only him, wasn't received too well then. And when you preach it and proclaim it, it's, I would expect that it's not going to be received very well. Th this doesn't sound like the let's all get along message. It, it doesn't fit in the diversity, equity, and inclusion mantra of corporations. It, it, it sounds too narrow, too harsh too hard but beloved it's true and I really mean this when I say this so, some of you uh, in days ahead are going to face very difficult times perhaps in our culture maybe much more than I ever thought particularly my kids and grandkids and should the Lord tarry beyond that so prepare them you know, when, when Jesus spoke this truth, it didn't work out so well for him. <laughs> so it appeared. But they, they didn't hear him. They killed him. They only wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. They only wanted to get fed and, and take care of some temporal needs. They didn't look deeper into their own soul and the problem they had before God. They crucified him. But he rose from the dead. He has an indestructible life. And beloved, they might crucify you too if you preach the gospel, if you stand for truth. But know this. If you're in Christ, you will live. Jesus didn't make any bones about it. He sent his disciples out. He would say, as lambs to wolves, that's our mission effort. There it is. Vulnerable. He told them to be wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves. We don't fight our battles by aggressively and violently dealing with people with swords and weapons and that kind of... The weapons we use is simply to proclaim Christ. And recognize it won't be received by many with great cheers. That's why Jesus said, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross and follow me. He, he doesn't mean to wear jewelry. Be, be willing to receive criticism. I mean, I'm not suggesting try to create problems. That's not what was going on, but problems will be created. If you live righteously, you're, you're going to suffer persecution to some degree or another. We've had great fortune in this country, and, pray, and we'll pray that we'll continue to have evil suppressed so that we can preach and pray and proclaim Christ. But in a, it may not work out that way for all of us in days of ha ahead. If you're reading through the book of Hebrews, you get to chapter 11, you get this faith chapter, and all these people that believe God and trusted him, it's a beautiful chapter. But 
one of the most intriguing things in there, too, amidst all of the glory and the grace and what goes on, there's this one section, it's hard for me not to weep when I read it, it's, I'll just read it for you in 1135, speaking about some that went before us who did pick up their cross and followed Christ, it says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. See, see, they look forward to the resurrection, ultimately. They're, they're not trying to put themselves in harm's way. But when you speak the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and that there is no is perfection in no other place, that, that really can uh, uh, bump up pretty hard to people. People who that are wise in their own mind think that's foolish. And people that have their own ideology about religious systems, uh, that's going to be a stumbling block. Others suffered mocking. Yeah, be mocked. So, so if you're, you, you're worried about having a great um, following on, on the social sources, <laughs> turn it off. Flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, and here's the phrase that just makes me weep, of whom the world was not worthy. That's a legacy of Christ and those that follow Christ. Not take this in, in, in pride, but in great humility, which actually I'm going to address next week to some degree at the beginning. I've declared this humility month. <laughs> we'll talk more later. The world is not worthy. But beloved, the, the, the people that you might encounter and preach Christ to, it, it isn't because they deserve it. It's because God's gracious. I, I know I, I'll have to finish this up. And I've just thought of an anecdote that I'll just have to bring in. I got a call one day, man, 30 years ago. I'm getting old. And... And they said my brother was dying. I had seen my brother 10 years prior to that call. And in that occasion, he was at my door, and he slammed it in my face. Because I shared the gospel with him. He said, I don't need God. I don't need anybody. <laughs> and then I saw him 10 years later on his deathbed. By that time, he was hooked up to all kinds of devices, and all he could do was grunt. I took this right here, and I read him the gospel. And I called him to repentance and faith. At that stage in his life, all he could do was grunt. So I have no idea of what this experience was about. And I went back to my hotel room following that. He died within two hours of me getting there. I went back to my hotel room. So what are you going to do? What, what, what are you going to think about at a time like that? Is my focus on, oh, did he make a decision for Christ or not? Is he, is he really redeemed? 
God gave me a thought in my mind about how good he is. My brother wasn't worthy to get a message from God. Not that I'm a worthy messenger by any means. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Is that in God's providence, even at this man's dying hour, a man who rejected God all his life, he gave him a brother who came to his bedside and preached the gospel to him and called him to repentance and faith. That's a great God, isn't it? A merciful God. You know, if, the, if, if I was God, I probably would do that for somebody who rebelled against me his whole life and slammed the door in my face. But God is greater than we can imagine. And the message that you have is, is redemption. And so I really don't care what he, in, in one sense, I do care, but in another sense, I, I, it isn't something I focus on with, oh, well, well, well did he actually repent or believe? I, I don't know. Could be in God's presence or, 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 or in judgment forever. I don't know. But you know what I do now? I know how great God is. And I know how he will accomplish his work. That's this perfect high priest. It is this perfect high priest by which we have a better hope. It is through this perfect one then that we can draw near to God. And through instruments of you and me communicating the gospel, he will call many sons and daughters to him. Let us pray. Father, I do pray that our focus would be on our mediator, a mediator that we need, and a mediator that we have that we can communicate and share with others and call everyone to repentance and faith. Give us courage and conviction even when perhaps that is, is, is not something that someone might want to receive. but know that it is life. And I pray that you will bring many sons and daughters to come and see this great hope in Jesus Christ by which they can also draw near to God. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you a moment now, beloved, where you're at to think Pray, respond to Christ in the way he has spoken to you today. Father, we do thank you for the perfect hope 
that is in Jesus Christ, a hope that is perfect because of him. I pray that Christ would be exalted in our life, not just this day, but in all to follow. And we look forward to seeing that blessed hope and the soon appearing of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's all stand and turn to number three in our hymnals. Worthy of worship, number three. Sing the first and the last. dismissed Jesus Christ the faithful witness to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen behold he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all tribes of the of the earth will wail on account of him even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.